Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown number three. I don't have the on-sale date because I'm unprepared, but it's $3.50 because it's one of those double-sized ones. And uh, this one is titled Duel. Duel. D-U-E-L, Duel. It sure is. Um, we start, well, first of all, the cover is Havoc seeming to be using his Havoc powers against Wolverine. Wolverine's claws are up in the air, and Havoc's got the higher ground as he's pushing his plasma bolt into what looks like Wolverine's chest. It's. I was thinking his face. Could be his face. It's It's an okay issue three of four cover. I think it's uh, better than number two. I don't remember number two's cover. See? Exactly. <laughs> Fair point. And I don't know. This is, I, I like this one. Okay. I, I like the idea of the Wolverines with his hands up in the air. It's a cool concept. Yeah. It's, it's fine. It's, it's a little misleading with what happens, but, you know. Yeah. That's comics. So we start the story off. Uh, we're in an airplane. Scarlet and uh, Havoc flying in a biplane. And they're flying over, I guess, I, I don't know, they seem to be flying towards a mushroom cloud, but I would think they would be flying away from a mushroom cloud that just happened. Is this the explosion that blew up Wolverine? Um, well, they talk about another explosion, but they also say a thunderhead is building. So I guess this is a storm that they're heading into that they have to go around. But then they also say that there's explosion down there. It looks like a little firecracker from where they came from. Oh, so that's probably the explosion that blew up Wolverine. Yeah. Okay. Because on the next page, we actually see Wolverine uh, running away from the exploded um, structure. He's naked. You know, as you would be after you got exploded in a fight or a, a bomb, rather. We get a, a painted rendition of Wolverine's little white butt. <laughs> it's there. That's uh, true. He uh this is kind of a cool sequence and and kind of a cool rendering. Uh we get a he he, he brought his pack along uh and I guess it was wasn't damaged or he had left it elsewhere, but either way, his pack wasn't damaged and inside of his pack, he has his Wolverine costume which he calls his fighting gear and we get a montage of him putting everything on, kind of recapping the events and talking about how he's got to find Alex and then we get a full page spread of painted Wolverine in his Wolverine costume. And the artist, is it John J. Muth? I think is perhaps the, one of the two painters, whoever's painting Wolverine here makes Wolverine's little, uh, triangle cowl things as ridiculous as he was making his, uh, spiky hair. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. It's cool. I like it. Uh, Wolverine also says he's really pissed showing that we are in the Epic comics area and not marvel comics proper absolutely we get at least one swear word per issue so i'm guessing that kent williams is drawing the wolverine stuff only because it looks like there's a signature at the bottom of this spread oh uh and it looks like there's a couple of dotted eyes okay that i'm really stretching here it's basically squiggly lines it might not even be a signature I'm looking at it, and to me, it just looks like some some penciled accents, but it doesn't really fit the rest. So maybe it is just a scribbly signature. Don't know. I actually read an article that said who did which, and uh, 
and I forgot. Nice job, Adam. This was like eight, nine weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we, we have a guy kind of walking through the forest who I think set off the explosion, and he's checking in with, uh, I don't know, Meltdown or who's the doctor again? Dr. Monocle. No. Uh, Dr. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Adam? No. Doctor, you, Doctor would, you would remember that. Dr. Cubicle. Nope. Doctor, Dr. Dr. Horatio. Dr. Quantum. We could do a whole show of just this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember his name. We find Dr. out later. Dr. In the Quantum episode. sounds pretty good. I like that. <laughs> if he hasn't been uh, an X-Men villain, he sure should be. Dr. Neutron. Dude, all right. Well, we were close. Not really. Uh, so he's checking in with one of those guys, and they're talking about, like, yeah, I killed Wolverine. He's totally dead. And they're like, where's the body? He's like, I, I, it's, I don't know. It's like, well, we need to find the body. And uh, he's like, well, I, I, you know, there's nothing to worry about, I don't think. And that's when Wolverine grabs him by the head and stabs him through the back of the head so that two of Wolverine's claws burst through the dude's eyes, knocking his glasses off. It's it's pretty hardcore. It's very hardcore. You like you've never seen Wolverine take out a guy like this. You've always wanted to see him do it, probably, but you never have. And this guy is dead. Oh, I, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whoever's on the other line is like, "Oh, your last transmission was garbled." And uh, Wolverine grabs the antenna and is like, "I'm coming for you. I'm gonna get Alex." And then we we get an awesome uh, painting of little Wolverine profile, again with his equally ridiculous cowl, which is cool. This reminds me of uh, Sam Keith a little bit. A little bit, um, yeah. Ob- obviously it comes first, so really maybe Sam Keith reminds me of this, but it's got that kind of exaggerated stuff that Sam Keith sort of does. Mm-hmm. This Wolverine is a lot less hairy than Sam Keith's Wolverine. That's true. <laughs> Uh, and he says something cool. He says, and if you still want to find me, then just keep looking over your shoulder because sooner or later, that's where I'm going to be. That's a good line. Yeah, it's a great line. And he withdraws his claws with a scrunch, I think, from the dude's head. Or maybe, no, I think he crushes the walkie-talkie. Yeah, he just crushes the walkie-talkie. It'd be cooler if he, like, clawed the dude's head one more time. Well, that's an overkill. The guy's dead already. Okay, it was. I think it was Meltdown because he's like, he destroyed the radio. That means Wolverine is alive, Neutron. So so John J. Muth and Kent Williams have worked together multiple times. John J. Muth is a children's uh, author and illustrator. Interesting. Um, I still haven't figured out who does what. <laughs> but, but there was a couple, I think maybe the first or the second issue, you said there was something that looked like kind of child drawings. Yeah. Maybe that was John J. Muth. I don't know. I said it looked like one of these artists' kids was able to draw something, i.e. indicating that it looked like a poor drawing. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> but then you you <laughs> talked me out of that and said it was probably artistic intent and blah de blah de blah 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 I think those is, is verbatim what you said. You can buy a collection of uh, hardcover paintings by the two of them together. I wonder if that includes any of these. Maybe. That would be neat. Anyway. The paintings here of Dr. Neutron are very, uh, I don't want to say very, but but photo, like almost photorealistic. Like, like it looks like he had somebody sit down uh, while he did a portrait of a man. They're very good. Quite possibly. Yeah, this, these could be based on photos. Yeah. For sure. 
Uh, Meltdown, on the other hand, is a character. He's a big monster, essentially. Yeah, he's got a gigantic chin, and he's all hunched over, and some slimy, drippy teeth. And he's mad. He's angry about this whole situation with Wolverine. I wonder if similar to the way that one of them is drawing uh, Wolverine and the other is drawing Havoc, we have a similar case of one of them drawing Dr. Neutron and the other one drawing Meltdown. I would guess that that's exactly what happened. I think I'd also say that whoever's doing Meltdown in these panels and Wolverine, I bet you he's the child's artist. Okay. I don't know why. And he he probably doesn't do scary books, but he probably does like weird accentuated storybook characters. I don't know why you have that feeling, but I also, I think, I think maybe because we're familiar with like uh weird, uh, like, uh, what is, what is the monster book? Uh, where the wild things are. Yeah. That, yeah. that type of stuff. It, yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of this in the same kind of vein. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. And they're also talking a little bit about, uh, Quark and Havoc. Uh, Quark, we do know, is Scarlet, right? Yes. Okay. I don't know why she's called Quark, but she is. And we discovered that, uh, I guess we learn a little bit that Quark might be falling for Havoc. Is that is that happening yet? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, okay. So put a pin in that, Yeah. as, as Jeremy would say. Yeah. It'll come up pretty quick. Um Let's see. Who is Wolverine has stolen a helicopter? Yeah, the guy that he just killed had a helicopter, which you see in the last panel as he's crushing the uh, walkie-talkie. Oh, yes. Yep, yep. And so he is tracking Wolf, or he's tracking Havoc uh, with his. He, does, he doesn't know where to go. Well, actually, I guess he, I guess he learned where to go from the walkie-talkie. Right. Although I think where he learned to go was was, let's see. Target Havoc has been safely removed and is now en route to Merida, and a mutant named Wolverine entered the hospital just before the explosion. So he knows he's in Merida, not necessarily where Havoc is in there, though. Right. Um, But he's going to burn their asses and their friends, too. That's what he says. I think he's going to burn the ass of the uh, Quark, who mm-hmm. he also calls a little bimbet. Oh, yeah. Alex may be too young to know any better, but old Logan's been around the track more than once. Um, next page, we're we're looking at uh, Meltdown, and he's all sorts of upset about Wolverine. I assume he's calling Wolverine a pygmy. That capitalist pygmy should learn of our uh, that a capitalist pygmy should learn of our plan is inexcusable. And now we kind of I think learn more about a why Chernobyl was important and be why they're trying to capture Havoc because he gets into a chamber and the chamber I I think is, yeah, it's got some radiation uh, in it and they're essentially they're charging meltdown up with radiation. And it's kind of like a training routine where the computer uh, in the chamber is throwing things at him uh like tanks and uh guided missile cruisers and eventually a city and i guess he's taking he's absorbing the radiation in the chamber and using it to fire and destroy said things yeah 
And apparently the simulation is smart enough or, or has the physics to determine whether or not, based on his power output, if he would have actually destroyed them. And uh, right. he has the ability, the power, if he can absorb this power, he can definitely destroy the city, uh, which he does. And then he goes on to say, like, had I enough power, I could destroy the world. And then he he kind of uh, recoils a little bit and admits that he got a little careless there and used too much power. Um, kind of fizzled out. Yeah. So so they replenish their power. Um, and I think that's what uh, they talk about a tool. Quark is bringing us a tool that can't. Oh, Neutron says that Havoc is the tool we need. Quark is bringing us that tool. But can we use them? That makes the very power that makes him so valuable to us neutralizes Neutron's brainwashing techniques. Um, He's the perfect little hero, not like Wolverine. Havoc is no killer. But I think the point here is that they can use Havoc to essentially power up Meltdown. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they want they want Wolverine for what reason, or is Wolverine just in the way? Wolverine's just in the way. But now they're thinking, uh, I guess Quark has a plan that oh. they're going to manage to use uh, Wolverine in a way that will get Havoc to do their bidding. Right. So we don't know what that plan is, but they concoct it. Meanwhile... Uh, Havoc and Scarlet land the biplane, and um, they're, Havoc's a little suspicious that all of these things, like they, they have the biplane, and then they, apparently she's got a friend who's got an airplane, and all she needs to do is make a phone call, so things are just happening too easily, and she's getting suspicious that she's letting things happen too easily, and that he's catching on. Right. Um, and he falls asleep because he's tired, I think. I don't know if he's poisoned or not. Well, they've been flying all night. Yeah. So. And he, he was flying the plane because he's a pilot, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so she makes a call to Dr. Neutron and uh, they start talking about Wolverine. And they start talking about Alex. Uh, and she she's going back and forth between using his name and uh, calling him Alex and Havoc. Right. I think which is kind of indicating like, oh, she's maybe falling for him. I think Dr. Neutron gives her an idea of what the plan is, and she's like, oh, okay, well, I know he's got senses, so I will leave my dress here, and that will set this plan into motion. Right. It begins with the dress, which I'm now wearing, and which I will leave behind in the ma- a lady's room. So so her plan that she feeds to uh, Dr. Neutron is to lure Wolverine after them. We don't know why yet. Right, and we get this uh, kind of an interesting five-page spread of her going into the ladies' room, uh, taking her dress off, um, I guess stowing it so that Wolverine will find it, I think catching a glimpse of herself in the mirror, and then doubling over in what I can only assume is sadness. It looks like a music video. Yes. Ish. Sort of. like <laughs> It looks like a music video in which there's a sad prostitute. <laughs> Because she's got like really tall stockings, she's got just her underwear on, she's topless, and she's looking at the mirror, looking at her pretty face, and then bending over. But in the context of the comic, she's obviously not a prostitute, but she's, I think she's rethinking, like, oh man, this Havoc guy is kind of, or Alex guy, he's kind of sweet. Maybe I like him. Maybe this is the wrong thing to be doing. What have I done with my life? And this is uh, these panels are on top of what looks like a hammer and sickle logo, but that mm. is covered in blood. Yeah, which is interesting. So she she 
puts on a jacket or maybe she had a spare dress. I'm not sure what she puts on, but she goes out and wakes up Alex and says, all right, uh, my friend's almost here. I think she just put her coat on. So she's just naked under there and just wearing her coat. That could be. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Hey, uh, what's going on under that coat? Hey, are you naked under that coat? Pretty sure you had a dress. Should we go find your dress? Um, so then she, she tells him a story about like, wow, the guy who's bringing us the airplane or who gave us the biplane, I dated him, but it didn't work out. Uh, this other guy who's bringing us this other airplane, well, he's just in it for the money and we've got money. So, so everything's on the up and up. You don't have to worry about anything. Right. So she's creating a little bit of backstories to try to get, have a, a little less suspicious. I don't think it's working, No, but uh, at least she's trying. There's a panel in which uh, Alex is like, Scarlet? She's like, what? And he's like, nothing. So you kind of get in the sense where he, he wants to confront her, but he's not sure if this is the right time or not. So they meet up with uh, Roy, I think it is. Charlie. Charlie. Roy, I think, was the biplane guy. Pay him the money. Alex apparently has a giant wad of money here. Because he's an X-Man. <laughs> yeah, we've he's still living off that Professor Xavier stipend. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they get in the plane. They're flying away. Um, uh, Scarlet's like, you look so grim. You know you shouldn't, Alex, because we did it. We got away. And now we've got this long flight. Can you think of anything to do? Yeah. And, and presumably uh, they figure out something to do. Yeah. Yep. We can keep ourselves amused. There's a little bit with a cigarette where she pulls it out and she's like, light this with your hand. And yeah. he does. And and then he's like, well, put that cigarette out and let's make ourselves busy. And if you want, you can have that cigarette later. Anybody can hire an airplane, but nobody else in the world has that plasma generation power. Only you. Yep. Uh, Yeah. So they're, they're going to do it lots. Yeah. Uh, stub it out, honey, later. If you want, I can light it for you all over again and again <laughs> and, and again. again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Meanwhile, who... back with Dr. Uh, Neutron. Is that the guy with the weird hair? Yes. Because he looks different than the earlier portraits. It's different lighting. <laughs> okay. I'll go with I that. don't know. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, because eh, I guess not so much. Yeah, he's just, you know. It's it's a uh, different angle, different angle. Yep. It's the same guy. So he and uh, Meltdown are talking and they're basically come to the conclusion that uh, uh, Scarlet's irresistible and it's no wonder that he's maybe falling for her. But it also seems that Scarlet is falling for him. So he points uh, Dr. Neutron says something that kind of leads me to believe that Scarlet has multiple personalities. He says, during my conversation with Quark, Scarlet emerged. Oh. She calls him Alex, Meltdown. Our Scarlet is beginning to care for him more than she knows. Hmm. I didn't really catch that. I just figured that, like, Quark is the bad guy agent and s refers to Alex as Havoc. But Scarlet is her real name, and Scarlet cares for Alex. But I guess... He no. goes on to say, impersonating Scarlet, Scarlet makes quite a change for our diamond brilliant Quark. Perhaps in some way, Scarlet releases Quark's true self. Huh. So I'm not really sure what the, the the personalities are there. It seems like possibly multiple personalities, but there might be more going on. Interesting. 
Anyway, Quark has given me this brilliant plan which will solve our Wolverine dilemma and break poor Scarlet's heart. Our pawn is arriving in Merida even as we speak and we cut to the helicopter with Wolverine in it and we get more of that kind of sketchy art. Wolverine found some replacement clothes because he's clothed and he's not wearing his X-Man uniform. Apparently he gets some information. Uh, heads out, finds the uh, the place where the biplane was, where where Scarlet took her dress off. He, uh, he can he can pick up the scent. He opens up the door, and uh, he finds the drink or the he finds the dress, and he realizes that he's been kind of led astray. Uh, there's a trap. Too dark to see a damn thing, but I don't smell anybody else in the room. And then there's some sort of machine that attacks him kind of reminds me of like a matrix machine it's like um, a drone with like a whole bunch of like i guess on the back it looks like it looks like little look, drills but i don't yeah think it, it looks is. like drills on the back and then on the front it has all these kind of hook wires so it shoots all these uh hooks at wolverine and he does not get out of the way tasers with barbed tips he gets stabbed by many of them it's, and got, then it's kind of a cool panel. Up. Like he, he gets like blown backwards and all of these little barbed tips like go shooting through him and, and hook into him. Got to rip him out before the juice. And then he gets electrified and yanked up in the air and is now hanging from the ceiling like a puppet. Yeah. It's, it's, and then so you get kind of this far away uh, image of it. And then you get a full page spread of basically just Wolverine and mostly his Wolverine suit being dangled by. All this it kind of reminds me of um the what's the uh jigsaw movie or maybe even better like hellraiser like a scene out of hellraiser the jigsaw movie yeah, oh yeah uh, yeah whatever that saw. series saw it's, it's in the name <laughs> that's true so it reminds me of one of those like a scene that you would see in one of those uh two movies i've not seen either of the the only hell uh hellraiser i saw was the one with the Deep Space Nine actress, uh, Terry Farrell, maybe? Uh, she played Dax. Oh. So I saw that one because it had Dax in it. It <laughs> probably was the worst one because uh, it was pretty bad. I think it was Hellraiser 3. Was it? Did it take place in space? No, I did not see one that took place in space. That one sounds awesome, though. <laughs> I... I can't remember if, cause there's that puzzle box, which is basically central around Hellraiser. And I can't yeah. remember if the spaceship or the space station or the earth, but something at the end of the movie turned into that box and it was like, Oh, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, it might've been Hellraiser four, but you got me. I'm, like I said, <laughs> do you have a thing for Dax, Adam? I did when I was a kid. Do you rewatch it? And you're like, she just looks like a normal woman. Yeah, I mean, you know, you idolize certain people as a kid that you kind of grow up and you're just like, oh. Actually, uh, I saw her at uh, Fan Expo a couple years ago, and she is crazy. But, like, not not in a bad way, but just, like, in a sort of celebrity way where clearly she doesn't live in the same reality that uh, most people do. Okay. Um, But, yeah. But, you know, she's still, still, I still, I still liked her. Sure. She's, she. I. I don't know. I. I don't. Uh, I think. I. I think my crush was less of a real crush and more of kind of a fun crush. I have been 
very slowly and opportunistically rewatching Deep Space Nine. And as I watched the series, so far anyways, and granted I'm only like halfway through the first season, so things are about to change. Oh, she has like yeah. no personality. Yeah, none of them really do for a while. She just runs the computers and she's like, let's flood the corridors with blah, blah, blah gas. I mean, I, I think all of their personalities are like one word. Like Kira is angry. Yep. Uh, Dax is smart. Yep. Um, the doctor is arrogant. And horny. <laughs> um, Quark is a, a materialistic uh, capitalist. The only one who has any personality is O'Brien. And that's because he had personality from from Next Generation. Did he have personality in Deep Space Nine or did you carry along the... Um, next generation personality over to Deep Space Nine. And and yes, he had a wife and a kid. Yeah, I maybe I carried it over. I mean, it's not like they really changed his personality a lot from show to show. No, I mean, his personality stayed the same, but I, I don't know that they further developed it. He's kind of the anchor of the show in, in the, at the very beginning until we get some of the more of the characters established. Well, don't they eventually throw Worf onto Deep Space Nine? Season four. Okay. I think because it wasn't doing very well. Is it is it worth watching? Because the first season's kind of rough. The first season is is very rough. Okay. It, it might it might be the roughest first season of all the series. <laughs> um, it is worth watching. I think it does get better starting around season four. See, I'm intrigued when, with the whole Warp shows up. I'm intrigued with the whole Dominion War thing, but I kind of want to watch like all the other stuff. All of that stuff is sort of set up for everything that happens. Yeah. Um, but you don't necessarily need it. But they're they, you know, it's it's also kind of interesting to watch the progression. They get better. Right. Like by season by season three, it's a good show. By maybe even by the end of season two, okay. and then when they when Worf joins the cast, it it kicks into high gear, and you start getting all your Dominion stuff and your big multi-story arcs and. That's when it gets really good. Okay. I'll hang in there. It might take me like 10 years to get through it, but uh, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. That's how, uh, I'm uh, I'm trying to slowly watch through Voyager and I haven't even finished the first episode. I don't I tried watching Voyager too. Uh, I've heard good things about Voyager. I've heard that it is the best of the sci-fi storylines and that it also has ultimately the best characters of the bunch, hmm. but it's hard to get through that first season. Yeah. Uh, and again, I only watched maybe five, six episodes of the first season and it was just like, yeah, it's just like more of the same stuff, but without any of the characters you care about. I don't care about any of these people. Yes. They're doing similar things, going down to the planet's surface and solving whatever problem and then going back to the ship and flying off to next week's adventure. Uh, the difference is in the next generation, like it became a lot less about, and maybe that happens in Voyager, maybe it happens in Deep Space Nine, but the next generation to me became a lot less about like the thing that they did that week and more about like the character development. Yeah, I mean, really the 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 character development of the main three guys, which is Data, Picard, and Riker. No, not even Riker. He, uh, he had Worf. some arcs. Like he he became like a. There was a couple of episodes where he kind of went a little nutso as he was doing his one man show. Those were interesting. Yeah, and and but he, but I wouldn't call him one of the main characters. I would call Worf the third main character. Really? Because we get some deep cuts of Klingon life in, in Next Generation. We just get all these Worf stories. That's true. 
the data Picard and Worf, you think? Yeah, I think they're definitely not Worf in the first season. No. It takes a little while for them to realize that Worf is a character on the ship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, back to this comic book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this isn't the Star Trek podcast. <laughs> no, not anymore it isn't anyways. <laughs> uh, Dr. Neutron is very pleased that they have captured Wolverine. And he just looks like a guy in a cardigan now. Yep. I like these little um, kind of symbols that are over the top of the panel. Uh, yeah, the little lines. I'm not sure what they're supposed to represent, but they're neat. Well, I, I think that's sort of how uh, Dr. Neutron sees the world as kind oh. of like schematics. So the plans are coming together in his mind. Yeah, that could be. Why not? We get it. Yeah, sure. I, I'd lo- I love it. So we get another, uh, we get a two page spread of um, a guy. I, I don't think it's meltdown. I, I think it's just a thug. Yeah, I think it's a thug. Depositing Wolverine into a casket. Wolverine's claws are drawn. And it's actually two thugs because the guy the guy in the elbow is another guy. Oh, it just looks like the dude has a skull elbow. Yeah, that's what I thought at first too. But the uh, dude with a skull elbow, if you, if you follow the uh, panel, has an arm. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because it's cradling Wolverine's head. And Wolverine's yeah. head looks to be wearing like a mojo mask, but like super deformed. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's very neat. It's creepy. They should put this in a in some sort of horror movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just make this this uh, design the villain. It'd be totally freaky with this lighting and this color palette. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see a movie like this. They have his uh, claws wrapped in bandages, which seems pretty useless. How do, it's a neat visual. I mean, it's, I, it's a cool visual, which I think is why they did it. But if you think about it logically, all he has to do is retract his claws. Or just stab somebody with the bandage claws. The claws are going to oh, go through the or, bandage and the. Or that. Yeah. So, but anyways, it's it's a neat panel. So they're loading him up into a coffin for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Alex and Scarlet are being led by horse. I don't know if this is Charlie or somebody else. It might just be their guide. Yeah. And they're, yeah, just following the trail to Wolverine. To some sort of, uh, I, I, I don't want to say castle. It's more of a building. It's just some sort of. It's like a giant mine. concrete building with no windows. Yeah, it's like a slab. It's almost like a dam. Yeah. It looks like a dam with a door. She says it looks just like Dracula's castle, which, okay, Disagree. I guess so. Disagree, <laughs> uh, but whatever. I mean, I've never been to Dracula's castle, so I don't know. Fair point. Uh, and it also says dusk three days later. So this is, I'm assuming, three days since when they put Wolverine into that coffin, and then they've been traveling for three days. I think it's three days after we first see them on the horses. Wait, which is, I'm assuming when they're on the horses is more or less the same time that they're putting Wolverine into the coffin. Yes, I would would concur with that. Uh, And it's not Charlie that led them here. It's a guy named Janos. Yes. You think the KGB has abandoned this site, Janos? Janos? Clappity clap, clap, clap. Janos runs away because he doesn't like vampires. Maybe he thinks the vampires haven't left. Maybe they haven't. Havoc says that he's going to go investigate on his own uh, and because he doesn't want Scarlet to be hurt. So he goes into the uh, the only door in the entire uh, 
dam slash castle. Do we know why they decided to come here? It's Poland, the Western Western Carpathian Mountains. Because this is where Scarlet's information that Wolverine is. Okay. Um, which I guess they got from the KG there or from the uh, the CIA. They think. Okay. So the, the, she she's basically feeding him information to get him to go where she wants. Sure. Uh, them to go. So yeah, he's strolling around. Doing a lot of thinking, thinking about the KGB, thinking about Janos. Why would Janos have lied? Um, so, so the story that she has told him is that the KGB has Wolverine. So that that's that's why they're there. I don't, I don't know. Beyond that, I don't know. He doesn't think something's right. Maybe he's hung out with Logan too long. He's got a sixth sense for danger. Better to play this cautiously. Use some plasma. Cut through this, the other side of this door frame, and he he gets into the door and he sees. We can't really tell. To me, it looks like a charcoal drawing of a man who's upside down. Now, we can obviously assume it's Wolverine, but it, at first glance, does not look like Wolverine. But it's still a neat drawing. Yeah, we don't really see who it is, but on the next panel, it's very clearly Wolverine. Yeah, but on this panel here, so Alex is like very nicely painted as he has been, like the whole James Dean thing going on. But And he's in the background. Uh, and in the foreground, you get kind of this nightmare uh, charcoal drawing of a man mm-hmm. hanging upside down. Um, so it's, it's a cool visual. Yeah. It's and then, a nice juxtaposition of styles. And then the next panel is just like monster Wolverine. Screaming, death, death, death. Um, Wolverine pops his claws, still shouting death, and he slashes Havoc across the face. Um because Havoc doesn't quite realize, despite the fact that Wolverine's shouting death, that he's not his friend right now. Right. Man, am I glad to see you. It's me, Alex. You're alive. Are you all right? Where's your... Logan? Death slash Logan. Yeah. He's trying to kill me. He must be brainwashed. Healing factors should take care of that. Death, death, death. What was going on? So... Uh, and then we get a really cool panel of Wolverine about to stab uh, Alex into uh, in the back of the head, I guess, as he smashes him into a wall. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a good Wolverine. Uh, uh, Logan's about to kill me, but if I'm dead, what will he do with to Scarlet like this? And then he uses uh, his Havoc powers to blow Wolverine away in a really cool panel where we get Wolverine flying to one side, and the other side is just the skeleton of... Uh, Havoc, which is pretty neat. We've never seen his powers like that before. No, it's cool. Wolverine's kind of recoiling. Um, Havoc is is uh, recovering, and he's wondering if Wolverine's permanently brainwashed. But then Logan says, "Alex, Alex, is that you? You okay?" And, and uh, well, Alex says, "Logan, you you know me." And the neat thing here is that we get like this multiple kind of fractured panels, and the first series. You see kind of like, I don't know, some forlorn eyes uh, or, or, or eyes of recognition or something in, in kind of a, um, uh, how do I want to say it? Like um, the panel isn't askew or anything, but mm-hmm. then the next series of panels, it, it doubles the panel count. You see Wolverine's eyes squint. You see kind of an evil smile. And then the panel lines go more jagged and Wolverine says sucker gets close and pops his claws into Havoc. 
Straight through his gut, presumably. Mm-hmm. Say goodnight, Gracie. And gives him, he's about to give him like one last slash when uh, Alex in a full page spread turns around and unleashes, uh, I assume, the full brunt of his power. He unleashes the dogs of war and cries havoc. <laughs> yes. Didn't Khan say that? I believe he did. <laughs> I mean, he didn't originally coin that phrase, of course. He was he obviously quoting Shakespeare, yeah. but, you know, Khan was well read. <laughs> uh, and then Havoc's like, oh, no, I killed him. I can't believe I killed Wolverine. I got to find Scarlet. Alex? Um, He's dead. I've killed him, Scarlet. This was no accident. Logan, I swear on your grave, I'll find who did this to you and me. And kill him if it's the last thing I do. And he is, she's sort of in the distance walking towards him. He's outside somehow now. And he is holding the dead body of Wolverine kind of in his arms. And uh, that's, 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 that's the end. Yeah. I killed Wolverine. It's a good little cliffhanger there. It's all over. Yeah. <laughs> it's a three-part miniseries. Uh, this is the end of Wolverine. As we know him. Um, yeah, so reading this issue uh, kind of makes me um, disappointed in myself that when I had the opportunity to buy them fresh off the rack at my comic shop, I didn't. You were a kid. What were you going to do? You couldn't buy everything. These were expensive. Well, A, they were expensive, and B, the artwork was weird. But, you know, looking at them with adult eyes, uh, I, I, I like the style quite a bit. I bet you there is a collection of this that is far more beautiful than the actual issues. I don't know. The only way that, like, because as I recall it, it was it was a, not hardbound, but but you know, a thicker cover and uh, glossy paper. Um, I have one of these epic uh, hardcover things. It's like the Death of Gru is in the same format, and uh, it hasn't stood up to the test of time. Um, but then again, I probably didn't take as good care of my comics back then. Um, but yeah, it's 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 bigger, it's nicer quality paper. It's nice. Yeah. So letters, We've got quite a bit of letters. Yeah, we uh we haven't been doing letters for a while, so we've got quite a few to catch up on. Yeah, we do. Where do we even start, Adam? Let's start with a small one. I got a small one here. This okay. is off of the Twitters, uh Andrew at Mighty Evil Doom. He says just started uh the episode not sure if it comes up in this episode, and he's referring to the men issue in which the X Men go to the bar. Yeah, um, we got a lot of email or a lot of a lot of communique about this. Yeah, and I think I don't know if you were the one who said you thought it was a a parody of um, whatever this DC event is. Well, I must not have because that's what everybody was pointing it out to us. Yeah, uh, I think we came up with like this must be a parody of something we're not familiar with or i don't remember exactly it was a while ago but yes everyone's pointing out that this is a parody issue of the dc event invasion that had just happened a year prior aliens try to conquer earth australia is the first to fall they set off a gene g-e-n-e bomb uh, in the last act so the gene j-e-a-n bomb is a parody of that and we also got one from kyle whose Twitter handle is at Kyle. Should I be giving away Twitter handles? I don't know. Uh, this one's from Kyle. Sure. <laughs> they, they might get followers out of it. And he sent us an image of one of the covers of DC Invasion, 
which is drawn by Todd McFarlane, and it is essentially the exact same alien oh. as was featured on the first page of Men. Yep. I cool. I guess if I and and Damian Whitaker continues the conversation. If you weren't, you didn't get it because you weren't reading DC in the late eighties. This is a blatant parody of the. Uh, DC crossover invasion, which was drawn by Todd McFarlane, who heavily influenced Rob Liefeld. So it all kind of fits together. Um, all of the major aliens are takeoffs of the DC aliens. The Daxamite were a whole planet of Superman, <laughs> which is why it appears uh, that they are playing Superman at cards. And I assume all those other Superman references. The Gene Bottom is obviously a reference to the Gene Bomb, uh, which messed with all the powers of the DC heroes. Um, Obviously, the problem with parodies is they only work if you know it's being parodied. Generally, this reads as much funnier if you've read Invasion. I still, I mean, obviously, I haven't read Invasion, so I can't really say about that. I still feel like this wouldn't be funny, but I could be wrong. You know, in the 80s, as a kid, if you were a DC guy or maybe you I guess you wrote you're the right. fence. If, if I was a kid, yeah, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, they're getting them. Yeah, maybe like, oh, I can't believe they're they're going to get sued, right? You'd probably, <laughs> I don't know, come up with all sorts of stories about how interesting it is and, and most of your friends wouldn't care because they weren't either reading all the comics or any comics and it would be just you getting the in joke um yeah but we did not uh colossus makes a reference to revlon um because ron perlman and and, and originally when i saw ron perlman i think the actor not <laughs> ron perlman the owner of revlon had bought marvel and that he had also owned revlon that's the start of the eventual bankruptcy of marvel comics uh, it's a weird issue loving the podcast. I've only recently discovered you and have listened to all the episodes, starting with uh, from my first uncanny uh, X-Men issue number 211 and really enjoying the reviews. We do disagree strongly on artists, though, as Rick Leonardi is my favorite comic book artist of all time. Um, I don't dislike Rick Leonardi. And, and actually, I think as a kid, I definitely did dislike Rick Leonardi. But as an adult, I kind of appreciate his the fact that he has a style more now it, it's it's maybe not my aesthetic since i grew up in the 90s and whatnot but um i definitely appreciate it more i think i think the issue is this and and it's probably not fair of me because i think the only rick leonardi art i've seen has been when he's usually doing a fill-in issue so he's right. usually doing somebody else's book or a book that's been established by a different artist and he's got his own style, as you mentioned. I don't know that I've actually seen like, like a Rick Leonardi, like uh original. Well, we did. We, we, and I think we both kind of liked it was the Marvel comics presents Colossus story. Oh yeah, I suppose. I think we both appreciated his art on that a I, bit I more yeah. than when he was doing in between issues. I don't know if I would have as a kid. I probably would have looked at that and been like, it's weird. I have <laughs> I have the same thing with Eric Larson. Like I, I used to not like Eric Larson at all. Uh, uh -huh. But, you know, he, he draws a badass savage dragon. And so that's where I kind of came to that conclusion of like, maybe I don't like Eric Larson drawing um, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, but... I, I do like Eric Larson drawing his own things. Mm -hmm. um, maybe. I don't know. So I don't know. I, I've also kind of like it, we've been doing this podcast for a while. I feel like I've grown. I've matured. And I actually feel 
sometimes a little bit bad as I listen back to like, oh, this artist sucks, right? When it's it's really <laughs> like this artist was like, I need to eat. <laughs> I need to feed my family and uh, I'm pretty good at what I do and I'm just trying to do my thing. And, you know, here we are many decades later, we're like, this art sucks. And mostly me, mostly me. I'm guilty of it, that. So. It, is, it, is both a, uh, it is both a job and an art form. And sometimes... Sometimes it's difficult to uh, do both of those things at the same time. Right. So so I've tried to rein my – there's going to be some issues, though, where I'm going to be like, I don't like this. And, <laughs> and maybe I need to refine myself to be like, I don't like this art artist drawing this issue because I am definitely not familiar with anything else that Rick Leonardi's done. So, Well, they, that, that brings up an interesting point. Damien, let us know. What your like? Give us an example of what your favorite issue of a Rick Leonardi <gasps> yeah. uh, artwork is. What is it's, the definitive uh, Rick Leonardi? Something where he is not filling in for another thing, where we can look at it with fresh eyes and yep. and, and see something. I'm not saying we're going to change our opinions, but you know, we, we might uh, maybe we, we might see it with different eyes. Um, also, if you're just starting with the issue 211 and you're all caught up, you know, why not dig into the archives and start back at number one, get all the way caught up and listen to all of the things. Yeah. And, and join the Patreon at the $8,000 level. <laughs> the Rick Leonardi level, we're calling it. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we're going to hook you up with Rick Leonardi. Okay. I'm going to stop. Talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving up to the top here, we got an email uh, from Keynes Atkins, who is an Adam fan. Uh, and, and I don't want to even attempt to pronounce the name. Uh, Kayans? Kayans? Atkins? Sure. Kayans? He already, or they already don't like me, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he definitely, uh, I keep saying he, they. I don't know if Kayans is male or female. It doesn't really matter. Um, but yes, points out that, that Adam sometimes is more attentive to comic books than I am. <laughs> So I started listening to your podcast a little more than a month ago. And as an avid X-Men fan, I've listened up to X episode 61. Greetings from the future. Is that, is that, is that our thing? Uh, greetings from the future, from the past, because by the time they listen to this, it will be our past, but they're right. present, but we're and, welcoming them in the past. But we're, we're in their future. They're not going to listen to this. So we're in their future but they're not going to hear it until it's their past. I guess that's true. Well, okay, whatever. <laughs> I refuse to look at anything else until I'm completely caught up with your shows, but so far I must thank you for keeping me company during my commute. Or commute? Commute. <laughs> I like commute better. <laughs> uh, if I was to summarize the show so far, I would say that Adam explains to Jeremy what they're reading because Jeremy skips half of the words, makes snarky, <laughs> snarky comments. I think we both do this a little bit. Uh, Perhaps you a little bit more than me, but I, I've, I've been guilty of that myself. Uh, he won't miss if something is miscolored or drawn differently between panels, but do not ask him to know the dialogue in the same panel. <laughs> uh, uh, my yes. favorite roll my eyes moments. Number one, somehow because they're called Marvel Girl, Girl, everyone in the books is a misogynist and dialogue is read in the tone of voice. The girl of the misogynist tone of voice. Yeah, our, it, our our Jean Grey voice. Yes. And, no, and, not no? that. No? I think our, our misogynist voice. Girl. Like that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah it was the 60s. We're, we're just reflecting on the era upon which we're reading. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're, 
when it comes down to it, we're just a bunch of dumb boys. Yeah. Uh, Beast is gay for Iceman. Constant jokes about that when it turns out that Iceman is gay. Hey, we were close. We were really close. Or, yeah, you're right. We were close. <laughs> I wanted to say called it, but we didn't. We were we were off. I, I think there was a point in which, at, at okay, so, you know, we're not the most PC podcast, but I'm pretty sure we've called at least every one of the original X, five X-Men gay at some point. <laughs> Probably. Because of that, that 60s style behavior where you look back at you and you're like, oh, that's okay. Um, obviously, we're older now. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to that. We've matured some. We've matured a little bit in the, uh, we've been doing this podcast for like 10 years. Yeah. Like, like seriously, we've been doing this for 10 years. So you're listening to 10 year younger versions of, which I think is reflected by the fact that we kind of fell into our sort of high school selves Mm -hmm. when we first started doing this. And so you were, you're very essentially listening to 15. I don't know why I'm defending us so much. I don't know why either. Adam. I just, I just assume like it's a, like Marvel girls pairing off with Cyclops, Iceman and Beast got to pair off with somebody. Might as well be yeah. each other, you know. Professor Xavier, he's like tried to get with Gene, but he's like, oh, I'm too old. I'm the leader, so I, I can. I got to keep my feelings to myself. It's a different time. Like again, it's a different time, and we're reflecting on comics written in a different era. So, yeah, number three, move on, number, Adam. Move on. Number, number three is my favorite one. Uh, the X-Men find a secret door in the mansion and Jeremy goes on a rambling dissertation about how it would be better if they showed us the door than slowly let us on, which is, of course, is exactly what happens, but we never acknowledge that. I wish I knew what episode that was so I could listen to it. I wish I it. did, too. I want, like, the details. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'd listen to it and just cringe, like, oh, yeah, I was totally way off, or, or, or I don't know, I was probably way off. And then number four, today when I finally hear Jeremy admit that he kind of skips over the words. Took you long enough to figure it out. I think he probably always knew that. Uh, There are some issues uh, that I skip more words than other issues. (laughs) Anyhow, despite giving Jeremy a hard time, Adam is clearly my favorite. (laughs) The patience this man has is astounding. I've been told that before. (laughs) I love you both in different ways and look forward to catching up with your current podcast eventually. Maybe I will comment in another 50 episodes please do but until then keep up the entertaining work thank you and i'm sorry for butchering your name i feel like i have been sufficiently lampooned and roasted (laughs) most of this thing most of those things are true but that's what makes it so much fun and and you know what I, i think we deserve i deserve a lot of credit for not cutting out those areas in which i go way off and i'm completely wrong leave those in you're too lazy for that come on that's laziness and it's all part of the process maybe there's somebody else who's like yeah he's really oh no he's way off nope yeah maybe not i I mean this could i'm sure just as easily be a letter about all of the terrible things that i do but luckily a person who liked me better wrote adam you never do anything (laughs) terrible thanks jeremy that's really believable uh, Charles Close Xavier writes in about Storm being 17 presents some problems. This is directed at me again. It's like, <laughs> well, come I on, don't, Jeremy. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what this this uh, I don't remember what this is about. Oh, OK. So he does go on to say issue 244 when Storm is entering the bar with the Rex with the rest of the girls. So this is recent. This is the girls issue. So uh, this comes out of the fact that when, uh, well, maybe not the fact, but maybe it's a fact I made up. Maybe I didn't read the words. 
<laughs> no. Um, when Storm was originally recruited to the team, I feel like her age is revealed to be like 17. And okay. we know how characters age in the Marvel Universe. It takes a very long time. Uh, I think it took Kitty like three years to turn 13 or 14 or however old she turned. Um, I'm not even sure how old she is in today's Marvel Universe, but it wouldn't surprise me if she's 17. I think she's in her in her thirties now. Really? That doesn't make any sense because that would put like Cyclops and Angel and everybody else at like fifty. It doesn't have to make sense. That's true. It's comics because people people age at different rates for some reason, and 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 this letter kind of goes on to confirm that. So yeah, so I, my comment on that uh, the ladies issue was that well, uh, she. she She's too young to go into a strip club because she's only 17. Uh, it was a nitpicky moment. And then he, so he kind of goes on to dissect uh, her age. How old is Storm by the end of the 1980s? And her first point is her romance with Forge, who is at least in his 30s by this point. He's a Vietnam War vet. Storm is likely not his age, but no way she's a minor when they hook up. The dynamics of that relationship were depicted as mature not one that is characterized by a severe age imbalance, not to mention this would have created conflict in Forge since he felt remorse and guilt for causing Storm to lose her powers. Wouldn't this same moral compass have registered a similar guilt if Storm was indeed underage when they pursued a romance? This I, is directed to you. I agree. This, I agree. this is all you, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I also could see that Chris Claremont decided to write a very much older than her years storm. And that's why the relationship worked out, even though she was underage. I guess I have no evidence that she was underage at that point. I don't think, he goes I don't think we cared. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that we, I don't think comics cared about such a social faux pas. In, I would agree with that. In the 80s. Uh, yeah, I think, I you know, think if they're so writing either. this story today, they would definitely, like, go out of their way to be like, and I just turned 23 last week. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think at the time, age, like, characters were whatever age they needed to be that the story needed to be them in. Right. So that the story needed them to be in. So if a character we know is 13 is in a relationship with a 30-year-old, it wouldn't surprise me to have that 13-year-old character act like a 30-year-old in that issue and then when that relationship is over, return back to their 13-year-old part. I wouldn't put it past comics to do that. And we look at the relationship between Kitty and Colossus. Kitty is definitely 13 or 14, and Colossus, again, I feel like there's issues where they're like, he's just a teenager, so he could have been 17 but there are issues in which he looks like he's definitely 25 or acts like he's 25 or he's going to a bar with Wolverine, which arguably you could have done in the eighties at age 18. But yeah. again, it's kind of the age paradigm of does it matter in the eighties? I don't know. Anyways, moving His on. Second point. If she is 17 and two forty-four, that would make her younger than half of the new mutants. By the time the issue came out, 1989, Cannonball and Danny Moonstar are both 17 shortly after they became students in 1983, confirmed by the editor's comments in New Mutants 35, and Karma was even older than them, about 19. No way that the Pee Wee mutants have seniority over Storm, leader of the X-Men. Yeah, again. yeah I, I, would, I would agree with this, primarily because by the time we get to the New Mutants, Storm is acting like an adult. 
older than her age, though? And that's certainly possible. That's definitely a possibility. I mean, Kitty's older than or younger than all the New Mutants. But that's constantly referred to. Like every time, every time she makes fun of the New Mutants, somebody says, "We're just as old as you." That's true. We're, we're older. Some of us are you. older than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got. I don't know. I'm probably wrong uh, when I say that that Storm was 17 in that issue 244. But I, I think I was just making a point that you know they they, they age. They only do it, and then they don't need to. But they don't really do a really good job of of uh, telling us how old these characters are. Yeah, exactly. I think the 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 bigger point, whenever we're making a point about somebody's age, is that comics don't do a very good job of being consistent about people's ages. But everybody knows that, and we're not necessarily complaining about it. Just making fun of it, sort of. This is an interesting point, and and it's something we maybe hopefully we called out in the issue because uh, dates. And ages are so seldomly depicted in comics that we usually like when we read them, we're like, oh, right here, Kitty turned 13. Or right. um, there was one issue where it's like uh, January 1980 uh, is the opening little um, dialogue of, of an, a very old X-Men comic. And we, we went out of our way to point this out. And uh, he goes on to say that uh, Scott and Jean were about 24 during the Dark Phoenix saga. And that is revealed by Jean's tombstone in X-Men or Uncanny X-Men number 138. Uh, and were 17 or 18, 100 issues earlier. Uh, an age somewhere in the mid 20s seems about right for Storm by the time issue 244 takes place, which is about 100 issues after Dark Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, you read a comic and it's like, uh, Phoenix gave her life on the dark side of the moon a few months ago. <laughs> and it's like issue 260. <laughs> Uh, well, that that's interesting though. Maybe maybe comics are don't don't flow in years; they flow in issues. So like like Storm is a hundred issues older, and that's all we need to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a hundred issues worth of stories, so she's grown as a character. But you know, they they usually obfuscate the age and say a few weeks ago the mutants were massacred with the Morlocks, right? And it's never two years ago. It's a few, a few years ago, a few months ago, a few weeks ago. Basically, we always understand comic book characters' ages by when they were, what ages were they, when they were introduced, and when were they introduced compared to the other people that were introduced around them. So, like, the five original X-Men are always going to be older than the uh, 70s X-Men. And then Kitty Pride's going to be younger than that. And then the New Mutants are younger. And so that's, I don't know. I, I, get, I, I stand corrected. Storm was 24 when she went into that strip club and everything's above board. Okay. <laughs> but spoilers, she's about to turn 12. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patreon. Uh, remember, you can join us on our Patreon and, and listen to some exclusive content. But we've got some messages from uh, some, some patrons there. Love the bonus apps, guys. Talking about House of X Powers app. X best X books and maybe the best capes comics in years. Capital letters, by the way, uh, Karama was in the team briefly during the mid two thousands. Same time mystique and Bobby had a fling parentheses. It's true. These are things I'm not aware of. Me too. I, I can't wait to get to these. If we <laughs> ever get there, this was from uh, squared circle comics. Who, one of our, one of our awesome patrons. 
or I guess two of our awesome patrons. I think that's actually two people. Andrew Franklin from Patreon, also a subscriber. Uh, he writes in, I'm enjoying the coverage, though I must admit I don't see why everyone seems to like this so much. Uh, it's okay. Or no, but that's okay. That's cool. Enjoy uh, As long as we can provide entertaining coverage, uh, I guess the source material is more or less irrelevant. Um, he does He does like a little meth face. Yeah. So he, he it just seems like Andrew's not enjoying a, uh, this House of X, Powers of X, as much as everybody else. But that's okay. Comics are comics. They're just fun. I'm honestly not sure if I'm enjoying it or not. I am enjoying the idea of it. Um, but you know what? If you want to know our real thoughts... You can tune into the uh, Patreon pa- Patreon episodes. Absolutely, in which uh, Adam and I both lay down predictions for the future of the Marvel Universe as well as how it affects the X-Men characters and the X-Men universe. Theories, thoughts, and ideas that you won't hear on the regular podcast, only available at www.patreon.com. Unless we slip up. We might slip up. <laughs> Very likely that we're going to slip up. We've probably already slipped up. <laughs> uh yeah so there you go that's that's the mailbag and boy what a mailbag that was that was a lot of mailbag but keep it coming yeah and uh we we love reading mail and reading it online and and talking you, about it and you love content you yeah. love you love hearing your name and us reading your thoughts we hope you love that you love it so uh, drop us a line, uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. Go out to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Uh, Twitter us at Danger Room Go. Email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review, leave uh, some stars, whatever you want to do there, uh, or any actual um, podcasting application for whatever sort of Google or iDevice you may have. Call us, 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636. Go out to www.patreon.com forward slash danger room to, I don't know, you know, donate, hang out, post a message, listen to exclusive content, maybe even suggest future exclusive content. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. And ladies. Yeah. Uh, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Got a couple... A couple more books to briefly go through. So brief. I read X-Factor number 42. That's good, because I don't remember a thing about this issue. There's not much really to remember. Um, Okay. (laughs) X-Factor brought the baby. The trolls kidnapped X-Factor. Terrible idea. Yep. The trolls want to destabilize the UK by turning a whole bunch of things into gold using the power of... This uh, alchemy. Alchemy is the uh, winner of the Marvel Mutant Registration Contest, as mentioned a while back. Uh, X-Factor escapes. Um, the boy here, he, his, his, his arc really is that he keeps waiting for X-Factor to help him. He refuses to use his power because, you know, he, he could just touch one of these trolls and think of any sort of uh, metal um, compound and turn it into him. But he also realizes, like, with his power, he could probably turn them back into living flesh, but he would need to know all of those compounds to be able to reconstitute uh, from metal back to like living flesh, which is kind of a neat idea. So he, he refrains from doing it. Um, X-Factor keeps trying to, to rescue him, but the trolls keep escaping. Um, at one point, the trolls captured the baby 
and they were going to step and smush on the baby, but like a bubble formed around the baby. And, and at first you assume it's Marvel Girl, but on the next few panels, they go out of their way to show her kind of awakening from her um, uh, being knocked out. So so either she subconsciously put this bubble around him, or maybe maybe the boy's a mutant and his powers are unconsciously manifesting. I don't know. I didn't really well, care. Well, then she does go on to say, they tried to hurt the baby. It's lucky I woke in time to stop them. So if whether or not she did anything, she takes full credit for it. Absolutely, right? So it's it's one or the other. I'm, I'm not exactly sure which. Hopefully this is a, a little story nugget that they're just dropping in uh, for us. Although I feel like the next six issues are going to be painfully awful to read. <laughs> oh, God. They go out to space and hang out with the Celestials, and it's so boring. We're going to have to do some uh, quick write-up summaries for those. <laughs> Anyways, ultimately, um, Alchemy decides uh, nobody's, like, X-Factor's trying to save him, but they just can't can't catch up to them. So he takes things matters into his own hands, and he turns these two kind of main trolls into gold statues. Um, he's super upset about it, super unhappy. His mom witnesses him doing it. And his mom accepts him for what he is, understands, like, why he had to do it. And he vows, like, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to learn everything, and I'm going to become a Ph.D., and I'll I'll turn him back into flesh and blood. But, you know, for now, we're, we're going to have to do something with these gold statues. So they take him out to Hyde Park and uh, kind of stick him out there as decorations. But somebody's like, you can't just leave gold statues out here. So he turns them from gold into lead, because who would steal lead statues of trolls? And, uh... They leave. X Factor's like, hey, uh, we we know some kids you could hang out with, um, and we could teach you. And he's like, no, I can control my powers, and I want to go to college. Bye. <laughs> uh, at one point, the police are brought in, and they reference that they should call Excalibur, but Excalibur never gets called. Oh yeah, because because they're in England. And that's it. That's, so uh, New Mutants number 77, lots of stuff happens in this one. I'll try to go through it pretty quickly. The kids drop off uh, Ilyana with her parents in Russia. Um, so that's nice. That's a nice resolution. Mm-hmm. Not sure when the next time we'll see Ilyana again is. I'm sure she cause... never comes back into the Marvel Universe. Because <laughs> I know for a fact that she is her current age now. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if she gets sent forward in age or or what i can't wait to find out i, I, I hope really, it's like I a really can't wait an alternate universe version of her and so oh it absolutely could be there's still a child iliana sitting in the utz or whatever but <laughs> this alternate universe iliana is the one that we know that joined up with team cyclops during that whole debacle it could be because didn't weren't there two Ilyanas in the same room at some point in the uh, last couple of issues? I think so. So why not? Limbo, time travel, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, seven-year-old Ilyana has not aged a day. Honestly, that was the only interesting part of this whole issue. For me, anyways. I disagree. Okay. I mean, if... I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I liked where this was going. So, so Danny uh, gets knocked unconscious uh, by she. She basically faints, and uh, the kids go back to ship, and X Factor isn't there because they're off in England doing what you just read about, and uh, it turns out that what does it turn out that 
they have to go visit Doctor Strange because she has some sort of uh, virus or something killing her that has to do with her being uh, an as as guardian uh, Valkyrie that she can't be that and a human being. So Doctor Strange, for some reason, is pretending like he's dead. I don't know what's going on in Doctor Strange right now. but I feel like it was some plot to hide himself from Hela, but I'm not sure. Maybe, but like uh, Wong answers the door and is like, oh, the doctor's dead, sorry. But then the doctor uh, goes into his astral projection of himself and pulls Danny outside of her body and then it is revealed that she is possessed by some sort of evil demon creature. And that's when I, I kind of got confused because, like, when did this happen? We never really learn. It's just some sort of evil demon creature. Mm-hmm. Um, we get some of the uh, boom boom and cannonball uh, relationship are, is starting to get established. That was kind of fun. Um, Skids and Rusty are still around. Those guys are cool. Uh, I believe Danny kills all of the new mutants in this issue. And then uh, Doctor Strange undoes it all or something. Anyway, maybe she doesn't kill them, but she she harms them quite a great deal. And Danny ends up with Doctor Strange's help being able to. Yeah, I think she does kill them. It looks like she. uh, I don't know. She, she's definitely there's a couple panels of her where she's definitely demon possessed um evil looking i don't see where she's killed everybody uh page 27 there's a she zaps everybody with fire and oh I think, okay i think they're all i think and then then the next page dr strange recovers them all so maybe they weren't dead but they look like it looks like she's attempting to kill them sure. uh, so it turns out when dr strange pulled Danny's soul self out of her body into the astral world, the demon was able to take full control of her body and also her horse Brightwind, who breathes fire through his nose in this issue. Um, and when he puts her back, she is able to fight the demon and I uh, get herself back. And then that's kind of how this ends. And then we say some. We cut over to I think this is Hella, right? Yeah, Hella in hell. So the Valkyrie maid used her conjuring to disrupt my fell design. Her earth is blocked from you now. For now, and those young warriors will not yet enter my kingdom. But that mutant trick will yet be their undoing. Hella is not finished with that absurd Valkyrie. By the shattered ship of nails, my revenge is just beginning. I think we're heading towards Asgard soon. That's my that's my prediction. Yay! And then in the next uh, Marvel Comics Presents, which is number 27, we get part four of eight of the Havoc story, where he has now traveled to Cairo, Egypt, and he is at the airport, and he is being attacked by terrorists who, it turns out, are connected to the uh, living pharaoh, or so he thinks. Um, but now it turns out that there's a cult that, uh, is, um, worshiping the living Pharaoh and they have these guys called trackers who resemble the living Pharaoh. They all dress like that and he's able to beat one of them and use that person to figure out where Leela O'Toole is 
and uh, at the end of it, she it looks like she's about to be sacrificed, but he he discovers where they are, and then all of the trackers turn around, and they're going to fight Havoc, and that's where it ends, to be continued. I tried reading the Marvel Comics Presents, and even though it's, what, four pages, eight pages? Eight pages, seven pages? I don't know. Couldn't Couldn't really get into it. I saw the word living fair, and I was like, oh, neat. But then there was, like, no payoff. I'm not 100% sure if we're actually going to get the real living pharaoh in this yet, but I guess we'll find out. They keep referencing him. I feel like it's it's got to be inevitable, right? You would think. Maybe not. But then again, it doesn't seem like anything's really happening in these Marvel Comics Presents issues. They're just kind of side stories where, I mean, I guess side characters happen, like Banshee got his powers back. Although that'll probably get retconned. And then uh, I don't think so, Adam. So he just has his powers next time we see him? As far as I recall, yes. Oh, okay. What are we? We're on 244. I think we've got about 15 ish issues uh, to find out. I think it's issue 260. Oh, man. Well, so there you go. It's a good thing we're reading these because otherwise we would have been like, how did Banshee get his powers back? Yeah, I feel like it's right around issue 260, 261, but I might be wrong. And then we're coming up to another issue with uh, the, the the Sentinel guy, Master Mold. So it's a good thing we read that one. So we know what happened with Master Mold before that. Could be important. Not X-Men 261. Not 260 either. I don't remember what number it is. But it's coming. It's coming. Oh, it's 254. So 10 issues from now. Oh, wow. That's even closer. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's it. All right. That's all reading for this month or episode or whatever it is. Period of time. Yeah. Join us next time when we conclude the whole meltdown saga. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's right. It's over. It's going to be awesome or disappointing. One of those. (laughs) Then we're back to uh, kind of the X-Men Uncanny series for for a little bit anyways. We got an annual to cover. We got it. We're going to have an annual episode. So pre-prepare for that. Atlantis attacks, y'all. Those are... (laughs) Those are my least favorite issues to read because they just don't matter usually. I'm going to try to read the whole thing. So What? The whole Atlantis Attacks? I mean, we're not going to do an episode about it. No, but no, I'll, but... I'll be a valuable resource of information in case it matters. Wow. That... Well, are you reading just like... Because usually the, the, the trend at this era is that the last eight pages or something are like the continuing story of whatever the the arc is oh i'm reading all the sub stories too so you're reading the whole are you reading like every I'm read every annual of atlantis attacks that that is what I'm, i don't know what i'm going to attempt to do front to back front not, to back not just those little sub stories except for the one there's a couple of them that are missing in marvel unlimited and i won't be reading those okay <laughs> <laughs> wow i'm surprised like the sub stories though must be captured in unlimited right because i imagine that there was probably yeah, a trade yeah, paperback are. okay all right well you go um i i don't have anything else adam do you no no that is that is all great well until next time my name is jeremy my name's adam the danger room is closed